This week on the Koshcast. Pep pops as City are rocked at Anfield, but is the Catalan approaching the end of a cycle? Arsenal can't keep up with Leicester, who are on their bicycle. Chelsea are riding high still, and Pochettino looks like he might cry. Elsewhere, Messi's free kick mania, Dybala saves the day for Juve, and Toronto FC falter in the MLS Cup. What more do you want? Heads up, over, pow! Snap back to reality. Snap back to reality. Oh, oh there, there goes. goes Rabbit. Oh, there goes. Liverpool Most not winning up. the Premier League. Oh. Oh, there goes gravity. Oh, there goes Shakiri. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Koshcast on underthekoshblog.com and at under underscore the Kosh on Twitter. My name is Alex. Bernie is here. Hello, hello. Rache is here. Hello. Just about. And Mohanid is here. Yo, yo, yo. How are we all doing, boys? Bernie, how are you? I am uh, wonderful. So excited to talk to you boys once again. Yes, Roche, how are you? Doing very well. Excited for this week's Koshcast. Can't complain. <laughs> Excellent. Mohamed, how's life in North York? Uh, good, man. Not bad. It's a month of housewarming. So, you know, two down, two to go. Excellent. Sounds good. We will be there when? Soon? Yeah, end of November. Excellent. What's on the menu? Oh man, that's it's a week by week kind of thing. <laughs> and of course, Alex, you have to throw in that we're also inviting our entire audience. Uh, I'll I'll leave that to uh, to Mohanad and, uh, and his <laughs> wonderful wife <laughs> to, to appraise the guest list. Anyway, um, I want to start this week's pod with a question we've had from a friend of the pod and La Liga expert Rahul Calvapole. Uh, he says. Trippier and Smalling are both doing well in La Liga and Serie A, respectively, especially Trippier. Which English player would you like to see do a Brexit and play abroad? And his pick is Harry Kane, who he thinks he would do well in any league. Um, if I can go first, I would pick someone like um, someone like a Sterling in Madrid. You know, like a, like a winger, a pacey winger kind of guy in Madrid. I think I'd like to, I'd like to see that because... He's really the superstar. Him and Kane are the superstars. Everyone else is a bit underwhelming moving out. But like Sterling, you follow his career at Madrid. I'd like to see how he does there. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Bernie? Um, I was thinking very, very hard. I was going to say Micah Richards, but, you know, that already happened. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I Go to Roche and then come back to me. I can't, I can't think of this. Okay, Roche, any, any thoughts? Uh, with pleasure. I would select Jamie Vardy um, anywhere, La Liga or Serie A. I think he would light up those leagues, and I think he would be top scorer. Mm, that's a good shout, actually. Vardy is a good shout. Sorry, guys. I'll be right back. Keep going. Uh, hmm, Vardy. So, like, in Spain, because there's so much space, he would just run in behind and score 50 goals? Is that your logic? Yeah, he has, like, electric finishing. He's fast. He's, he's actually really fast. And um, he can just, he can, he's a nightmare to defend against. I don't think that, uh, you know, in a league where the, where the ball's not moving as fast, I think that Vardy can easily make a run in behind the defender and easily finish. Like, he's got some real good finishing. Yeah, yeah it's, it's less about, like, who's going to do well. It's just, for me, it's like the excitement factor. Vardy would be exciting. I just feel Sterling would also be exciting to follow. You know, almost like what Hazard moved there to do, but hopefully better. Um, and yeah, because we always talk about how Sterling, you know, is Sterling world class, and a lot of the times, unfortunately, the the, the really, really like world class test is can you, you know, how are you going to do at Barcelona or Madrid kind of thing. Um, so we just kind of, I think, finally answer that question. I mean, it's almost answering the question for Hazard right now, but in the inverse. Um, so I'd like to, you know, answer that question for Sterling by seeing him in a in a Madrid side. Fair enough. I, I've gone for two United players. One is Jesse Lingard, just because I, I don't want to see any more of him in England. And trying him trying to do social media in another language would be entertaining. Um, the other one is Rashford, just so that he can learn something and, right. and just stop relying on his pace and like learn how to do tactics and, and stuff like that, you know? Mm, not about show. Rashford's actually not about show. Martial, oh, he's not English. <laughs> Martial should go to France. <laughs> yeah, go back to where you came from. <laughs> I think I think um, Harry Kane's yeah. a good shout. 
uh, I think that's a very good shot, actually. I think he would do well anywhere he goes. Uh, maybe with the exception of, I mean, it depends on the club. I don't think he'll do well at Barcelona, personally. I just don't see it. Um, no. But yeah, Real Madrid, absolutely. Juventus, would, sure, why not? Would Would he have a better career than Lewandowski, let's say? No chance. Yeah, I don't think so. You know, that's the thing. Like, it's, it's I think it's going to be a bit underwhelming for Harry Kane. I think, I, I think this whole this whole Spurs thing does help a little bit. I, I think the the main difference there between those two guys is not the quality of player because I think that's about the same. But Lewandowski is so fit. Like, he's so fit. He's so healthy. At thirty one, he's still so agile. Like, arguably more agile than Harry Kane is at twenty six. I, I just think Kane looks and has looked for the last like 18 months physically pretty busted. So moving to a slower league might really help him, but I don't think that he's going to be, he's going to have the longevity of someone like Lewandowski. Well, surely, surely, surely this is Kane's last season with Spurs. Like if he wants to be anybody in the history books, he has to get his big money move, whether it be United or, you know, maybe replace a Benzema or something. But like he needs to make it happen this summer or he's just going to be forgotten. Like, this is the moment. He has to do it. I thought it was last season. This is really the last one I see. Like, if you say it's Spurs, I'm sorry, man. You're just, you know, you're not going to be anything in the history books. I mean, there's history books and there's history books. Arguably, his easy, the, the easiest way for him to get into the history books is to stay there and break all the Spurs records, which he will do if he stays. Um, and, and even winning, winning any, kind of comp, any kind of serious competition with Tottenham would arguably be a much greater achievement than you know, going to Real Madrid for a couple of years and winning a, anything. The only thing I'll disagree with that is Alan Shearer won the league with Blackburn, but everyone forgets that he did that because Blackburn is just not an important club. And breaking the Premier League you know, scoring record is great and all, but he's not on that level that he should be. If you look at the numbers of, of Alan Shearer, like in reality, like in terms of legendary status, you should be talking about him in terms no. of, you know, the biggest players to ever do it. I remember when R9 was cheering up in Barcelona um, and this guy was tearing it up the same way, but no one cares because he was at tiny, tiny clubs doing absolutely nothing else. Yeah, I, I agree. Like when, you know, how we talk about Premier League's best strikers and we, you know, your mind always goes to the Henri's and Aguero's and the first. And then before you kind of hit submit, you go, but share his numbers, so I'm going to add him. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like your first go-to definitely. You always kind of add him again because you're like, well, I'd be stupid to leave him out because of his numbers. So Kane, yeah, he could turn into a numbers guy if he, you know, he could be whatever all the, even Premier League records, forget Spurs records, he could do something. But, you know, I just don't think, I think you just need a bigger move before the end of your career to really submit yourself in kind of the memory the staff in the memory if that makes sense yeah we'll see i mean soon enough we'll all have chips in our brains and, and memory won't won't matter anyway um yeah but i'm also going to filter all spurs results so sure um let's flip the question uh Roche, is there any foreign player that you desperately would like to see in the premier league at this point uh there's, there's a number of foreign players i'd say uh firstly i'd say i would love to see Lionel messi in the premier league <laughs> um i think that uh you know there's been a lot of debate over the years about oh if messi was in the league he would he would easily walk, like you know this would be a stroll on the park for him but um i really want to see it happen um so that's one at least i don't know about what you guys think about that funny i mean i think i think that's the de facto answer right you want to see the best players in the league that you that you support, and that's the best there is. <clears throat> the best there was and probably the best there ever will be, right? So, uh, absolutely, would love to see Messi in the league. Uh, if there's – can I go – can I switch the question a little bit and go back to legends because I don't like football right now? There are no uh, rules here. Do we like? I would have loved to see <laughs> Totti in the Premier League. That, that's just one I would, I would have loved to see. Oh, mm. that's a, this is a slippery slope, man, because now, <laughs> now, now my head's going battered due to Rui Costa. Yeah, like it, it's all over. You've ruined it. I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. I'll, I didn't know I'll, we have to talk about the league. <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll bring us back on track. I'm going to say Mbappe. I, I know it's not going to happen. It's not the league for him and his style of football, but I feel like Mbappe at his peak in a season or two and in the Premier League would just be a lot of fun to watch, you know, replacing maybe kind of taking that gap that Hazard has left, potentially. 
Oh, um, Manid, I, I, I agree with you, and I, and I, but I disagree that it's not his style of play. I mean, this is, you know, at, right now, England is all about pace and, and physicality. I and mean, you look at Liverpool and the way that they're, they're doing what they're doing is they're just bullying teams physically. I, they run all I, over them. And I think Mbappe would fit into Liverpool specifically. Obviously, not every team, but li- this Liverpool team, Mbappe coming in for any of those front three, and uh, it would be unbelievable. I just feel the league doesn't appreciate individual greatness enough. And I feel like I want to see that in that Neymar side of Mbappe, that in, I am Mbappe individually. You know what I mean? Like, even look at, look at Mane and Salah. Salah broke Premier League records, man. But, like, people, or at least Premier League followers, don't seem to care about the individual, like, enough. And I want Mbappe to be that, like, Ronaldo. You know what I mean? And I just don't feel it happen in the Premier League. I feel like it happens at Madrid way more in La Liga than it does in the Premier League. That's all. You guys are all crazy. Daniel James on one side, Mbappe through the middle, Rashford on the other, or Rashford, whatever, Martial, <laughs> throw them all in, speed demons, let's go, baby, let's go. <laughs> I can't believe Rashford still gets in your team when you've signed Mbappe. Yeah, like, like Bernie is having like a, a wet dream about Manchester United, and Rashford is still in there. Yeah, I, why not? I, I love, I love, I'm, I love Academy boys. I'm not just a fan who's a checkbook fan. That's this bullshit fandom for me. Roche, if, have United United sign, in there. Roche, if United sign Mbappe, does Rashford still make your 11? Uh, he would, well, that's a tough one. Depends, you know. I mean, I'd have to take the tactical element into consideration. Do I need Rashford to just run up and down that wing? Yes. Do I need Mbappe to run up and down the other wing? Maybe. I mean, there's a few ways you can go about it, but... Yeah, like as a Manchester United fan, you have a soft spot for Marcus Rashford because, you know, some days he looks so good. Some days some days he's a donkey and some days he looks good. And over the weekend, of course, he was good and he was a donkey. So it's like, okay, you don't know what right. you're getting. Alex, well, who's your guy before we move on? Because we never asked you. Uh, it's going to sound a bit lame, but Thomas Lamar. Let's move on. Yeah. All right. Okay. Premier League time. Yeah, yeah thanks, yeah. Alex, for ruining the mood. <laughs> Wait, he's Lamar, just a freaking serious? Alex, please move on. We hate you so much right now. <laughs> Thank you so much as <laughs> sorry, one sorry, notable sorry, manager. Sorry. Thomas Partey for your realistic answer. I, I like him too. Thank you again for ruining our time and not making us dream. Guys, move on. <laughs> Thomas Partey and Thomas Lamar. Jesus Christ. <laughs> just, just, a bunch of, just a bunch of Thomases. Right. Liverpool 3. Manchester City won. Uh, Roche, is the title race over? Um, I'd argue that it is not over yet, but I do think that Liverpool have drawn first blood, and I think they will be top of the league on Christmas. I think. I, mean, um, I, I think going into this game, Liverpool were heavy favourites because City have been kind of up and down and volatile in their form, whereas Liverpool have been remarkably consistent. And um, so I, I also feel like during this game, we saw a couple of controversies and things going against City. But also given that it was at Anfield, I just think Liverpool was up for this game a little more. So, yeah, they have drawn first blood, but I don't think the league is over. Fair. Okay. Um, and does anyone else think that conclusively it's done now? No, no. Well, this is Liverpool we're talking about. They haven't won the league in how long and... You know, we've seen last season, did not forget, they had a 10-point lead. Like, we, Alex, me and you argue about this all the time. You know, they ended the league with, what, one loss, and they got, what is it, 97 points or whatever, like, whatever it is. And, yes, overall, they've done a great job, but then you you can't use that stick. Like, you were 10 points ahead, and you didn't end up winning the league. That's a failure. So, it's not over yet. It's only nine points, I think, right now. Um, the only thing that will save Liverpool right now is that City aren't playing at the best of their ability. And it's funny how we talk about City who are nine points away, even though we have Chelsea and Leicester are eight points away. We're still talking about City as the main title rivals. And I, I think that's still true. But I really think City will probably focus a lot on the Champions League now. And that will give Liverpool the break they need just enough to uh, to go on and win the league. So it's not over, but they, they really should win it. If they don't win it this season, it's a curse and it's never going to happen. I, I kind of agree with you in that I think the further that City slip, the more that they will just end up focusing on the Champions League. I, not that, you know, I, I think 
Guardiola's priority may be to win the Champions League anyway, but he would have desperately wanted to retain the league, desperately. And and I think I don't think they're going to give that up. But I do I do kind of agree that they may end up this season really prioritizing the Champions League. I'm not sure. Bernie, though, how do you feel? I'm not sure that it's it's about what Guardiola wants to or prioritize or not. I don't think that's in his hands. With Laporte being injured and Stones being terrible and injured, and Fernandinho filling in like he did. Um, over on the weekend, like there's nothing. He has to just take it week to week and see what he can do. It's not, you know, and, and Ederson, of course, Ederson has been brilliant for them. Although he's had a couple, you know, let's call them dips here and there. But Claudio Bravo is a negative. You know, you you might as well play Kyle Walker as they did in the uh, in in the Champions League. I think it was. So for a team that actually has considerably a big squad, they're actually kind of thin. Like Claudio Bravo is a second keeper. No. Like Laporte, they need to to buy a center back. They haven't done that. Um, Jesus, to me, just seems very, very strange. Like I, I don't know what type of form he's in. They have problems in that second unit, and I'm not sure. I think Liverpool have won the league. I, I really do think so. Leroy Sané is out as well for an extended period of time. This team has significant problems that they did not have last year. Yeah, I I, I don't disagree with any of that. Really, I, I think that. Um, City do have some issues in in that second string. I mean, this is all relative, right? Like most clubs would absolutely kill to have the issues that City have, but compared to compared to previous years, they they don't feel as strong. Um, Barney Rone wrote an article in the Guardian today, suggesting that this is what we've seen from Guardiola, both in terms of how his team is playing and his personal antics, um, seem to suggest that we're in possibly the final phase of Guardiola City does anyone else feel that that may be true yeah I think I think you know the three-year thing how long has he been in City now this is his um, fourth this is his fourth right yeah I don't think Pep's the long-term manager and even four or five is long-term in, in kind of what Pep Guardiola wants to do uh, he's one of those guys where I you know I think of those alien movies you move to a new planet you take up the resources and you move on kind of thing right and he's I think that's where he's at. And I, I think there's going to be a lot of managers leaving clubs at the end of the season. Pochettino, um, Pep, like the cycles are ending for a lot of clubs. Um, and I think City is going to be one of them. If he doesn't win the Champions League this season, I'm assuming he doesn't win the league. I, I think that that's going to be it. He's going to be looking for something new. Um, but yeah, it, it feels that way, doesn't it? Unless, unless this rivalry with Klopp and Liverpool like kind of fire him up and he wants to go again one more season. You never know, but I, I feel like this might be it. That's possible. I, I kind of feel, and I've said before, that I reckon that if uh, Klopp wins the league, he probably will and probably should leave Liverpool because there's nothing, there's nothing left to win at that point. He's won the league. He's won the Champions League. It can only go down. Move on. Roche, what do you think? I think, first of all, Klopp is probably not going to leave Liverpool. Uh, I can't see it happening at this stage. Even if he does win the league and he wins, the Champions League and all the trophies there are, I just feel like he's built this up for so long mm-hmm. that there's no mm-hmm. way that he's just going to quit right after he wins. Um, but on, on Pep and City, I I think that Pep should probably stay at City until he can win something. I don't think Pep's the type of person to leave a club without achieving anything. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, you can argue that he did somewhat leave Bayern Munich before he won the Champions League with them, but I think that the circumstances were different. He was winning the league every season. So with uh, with City, I think that he would at least try and win the league and the Champions League, maybe a double. Um, he, he's still got plenty of things to win at City before he moves on. That's fair. I, I think the, the trouble with Guardiola is that the teams that he takes over leave us no choice but to pretty much only judge him on whether he wins the Champions League. Like he takes teams over that are so dominant in their domestic leagues or should be so dominant in their domestic leagues that his domestic achievements just kind of fall by the wayside. And it's like, right, well, if you haven't won the Champions League, you failed. Like that's the, that's the, the view of Bayern Munich, even though he actually did some incredible stuff there. No, I was, I was going to say quickly that I think similar to what maybe you had in mind is that even though he takes on teams that are the best in the country at this time, he always seems to elevate the league performance one more. Like, like City, 100 points and breaking records. And Bayern did it in, you know, it was dry, but it was record-breaking. So he always does take them up another notch. 
um, it's just obviously like one of those things where it's like, well, they were going to win anyways kind of thing, right? But I think he did take City up and not definitely from where they were. I, th- I think that's true. I just think that we have to have a little bit of perspective and this is not to, to hate on Pep. I do that a lot, but I mean, he took over trouble winners at Bayern Munich. I get that he got a points record and I think an um, earliest time winning the league and all, but you won the, it was just, this was treble winners. That is harder to do. Yeah, but like, that's treble winners, Bernie. Bernie, that's treble winners, are like a very unlikely treble winners, right? Like, like they were doing pretty bad, if I recall, and then they somehow just pulled it out of the bag at the end of the season. No, they, no not at all. Bayern Munich for a couple of years were very, very bad. And then over steadily over time, Heinkes came in, ch- changed everything, and they started doing really, really well. They were the best team in Europe by far. And in fact, um, remember, they got to um, the final, I think, before against Chelsea. I think it was actually the year before. And then they lost that. A final they didn't deserve to, to lose. And then they, they faced Dortmund and won. Like, this was the best team in Europe for about two years running. Now, that aside, yes, he did do some good things, but... And I think we spoke about this. For me, I, I, I rate Klopp as a better manager than Pep Guardiola. I, I always have. I, I understand revolutionize this and that, but Pep, what Klopp did with that Dortmund team, that's, trans, that's, that's actually transformative. I get you can take the best players in the world and make them better, but to take average players and make them great, that's a Ferguson trait. That's a Klopp trait. That's a little bit of what... Jose Marino used to do, doesn't do it anymore, but Porto and Inter Milan, that's elevating people. I, I want to see Pep take a job that he has no right of, of winning the league with. I know he'll protect his legacy and he won't do it, but it's, and he's one of the greatest ever, but it's just not as impressive. You look at Van Hals, you look at all these guys have done that type of thing. Pep Guardiola is the only elite manager that's never done that. And it's a bit of a shame to me. Yeah, I, I understand that point of view. I do understand that point but, of view. And it we would be, it would be amazing to see him take, you know, a lower level team, but I, I just don't think we'll ever see it happen because he doesn't need to. Can I just quickly uh, add something on the Pep note? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think that you know where Pep differentiates himself from other managers is that he's an exceptional man motivator, and I think that his tactics haven't been astronomically different at each club that he's been at. And so initially, when Pep took over at City. I think you saw an improvement in not only like the English players game, like Raheem Sterling's game, for example, but like, you know, where people were talking like, this is good for English football, this is good for England. And the English national team actually has done very well since Pep has been at, or in England rather. So I think that, I mean, you know, it's only 12 games into the season. They've lost three games, which is pretty uncharacteristic. They're in fourth place, but I still think that they can only improve from here. I think this is the worst they're going to do this season. Because, I mean, if you look at City, they've underperformed. But if you look at Liverpool, I think they've overperformed because they've got 12 games. They've, they've won 11 out of 12 games, and they've drawn one. So I think that's an overinflated uh, start to the season for Liverpool. But, sir, in the context of this particular game, they were rubbish. And Liverpool absolutely overran them. And what irritated me is Pep had the nerve to say this is one of the greatest performances of his team. Like, like this is that's, it frustrates me because him and Klopp do the same rubbish. Like, it really annoys me that they do that. Like, your team was crap. Like, you don't have to say it's crap. It was crap, but you, don't tell me it was the best performance ever. I remember Claudio Bravo on his debut against United was absolutely horrendous, and he said it was the best goalkeeping performance he's ever seen. Like, there's just a lot of bullshit that comes out of there because this game, they were absolutely dominated start to finish. And credit to Liverpool for doing that. I've not seen anyone else do that but Liverpool. Pep's relationship with Claudio Bravo is absolutely bizarre. Like, for a start, buying him for $25 or whatever it was. Uh, And secondly, just like, I, I understand protecting your players. You have to, to some extent. But A, leaving him there as your backup keeper when he's clearly not good enough and be just like praising his performances to the hilt when they're ostensibly rubbish. It, it doesn't, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand why Bravo would be happy about that. He would just come off feeling stupid. I, and the relationship between them must be, I don't know. It, it, it just seems like it would be very odd. Also, Bravo is just another example of how you can't have a goalkeeper that short anymore it's just not you, you, can't, you can't do it yeah well let's talk let's talk about some of the goals he conceded then um the first one um was a brilliant 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 strike by Fabinho who is 
you know, potential player of the season so far. I know, you know, it's going to be strikers and people get assists and goals, but Fabinho has been unreal in midfield for, for Liverpool. And that strike, you know, zero backlift, whipped it in right next to the post. I thought it was such good technique. We'll get to, like, how they got to it in the build-up, but it was such good technique on his end from someone that doesn't have all the stats. Um, I, I thought it was a fantastic goal. Completely agree. Absolutely, absolutely stunning strike from, as you say, for me, player of the season so far. Ooh, um, but before shot. that, though, before that, there was the handball call where the ball then ended up being a goal for Liverpool. Um, any thoughts on that, guys? Bernie, you have any thoughts on that handball call? Non-handball, I guess, call? Um, I don't know anymore um, <laughs> what the rules are and what we're trying to do here, but... The problem, and I, I saw you on Twitter talking about this, the problem was, for me, Bernardo Silva handballs it first. Yes. And if Bernardo Silva handballs it first, doesn't that... Like, I, I know there was another bit of play, but that handball affects something, which affects, you know, getting the ball to Trent Alexander-Arnold. So Yeah, but the, in new, that ch- the, new rule, the new rule is that it doesn't matter what happens. An attacker's handball is given regardless of circumstance. So the ball. So is it that the ball went to Bernardo Silva? Therefore, Bernardo Silva's is not like like what? Like at the phase of play, what's a handball? Because if Bernardo Silva, well, if that had led to a goal, they would have had to chalk it off, right? Yes, exactly. So therefore, you cannot say Trent handled it because technically, if Trent handled it and you believe it's a penalty, it should have been called earlier for Bernardo Silva's handball. So I don't understand why anyone would think that Liverpool should have gone on a penalty there. It just the the new rules are clear. They're crystal clear. Uh, you know, remember Mane's, uh, I think it was Mane's handball in Liverpool's game that was um, chalked off, I think, against United or whatever. Like, you touch it with your hand and you gain any advantage as a striker. No intention is not taking to play. None of that. It's the handball. So, therefore, Bernardo Silva would have, should have had a foul called against him. So, I, I just don't see this as being a debate whatsoever. Agreed. Rache, what do you think? Yeah, I think that in either, either scenario, it is a dead ball situation on the other end of the field. So, um, you know, it's, it's hard. I mean, yeah, like it's hard on City because Fabinho went on to score an absolute rocket of a goal. But, you know, given that it should have been a dead ball on the other side of the field, would Liverpool have scored a similar goal? I don't think so, because I think that strike That's is a, a one out of ten. It's, a one out, it's not even a one out of ten. It's a one out of 100 strike. You're not going to make that strike on a normal like a normal game. So you're saying one way or the other, it should have been a, a free kick either to Liverpool or a penalty to City, which would have basically nullified the goal, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's, right. a, good That's a good point. Um, the next goal that Liverpool score was also just another phenomenal goal. Like, like you saw Arsene Wenger talk over the weekend about how little time Liverpool have the ball in possession. They just move it up the field so fast and it's clearly something that Klopp wants them to do. And they, you know, Trent and Robertson are just unreal technically. Um, and Trent, that, that left ball across the field to, with his left foot to Robertson, who then takes one touch, plays it perfectly, curler around all the defenders into Mo Salah's pass, who does a really good job of controlling that header. That goal is just textbook, man. It's, per- it's perfection. The goal is, is a wonderful goal. Um, I loved watching it in terms of the technique. But if, if, and we'll get to Sheffield and Spurs, I guess, later on, but if that is offside in that game, then Salah is actually even more so offside. To me, you still let it go. It's still within the realm of possibility that, you know, frame rates and whatever, but there's no consistency. And, and that's my problem. And I know VAR is becoming just this weird monster that we talk about every week. And that's actually getting very, very boring to me. But it's, it, it, as, you, as you guys are seeing, it's very hard to talk about technique anymore because you're there thinking, did that goal even deserve to stand? I don't know what you guys think. I'm, I'm thinking we make a, a cost decision to never discuss VAR. Because honestly, like, it's ridiculous. Like, I'm enjoying the moment in the game. Like, I, I, I lose the enjoyment of that. Players aren't even celebrating anymore until they wait for the, like, it's, there's no consistency. People have all these conspiracy theories about VAR wasn't working in the first half. And then they draw the line on Sky and then the line is all like not straight with the other lines in the field. And there's just too much going on. And like the fact that we can't enjoy, I think, one of the goals of the season because of VAR, it's just ridiculous. Like it ruins the whole thing. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, on the subject of VAR, it's like the first real season that it's been like implemented, and we're we are seeing a lot of these consistencies. But I feel like from here, what we learn in this season, we're gonna, or not we in particular, but the FA or whoever the governing body is, is gonna say, okay, like this, these are the inconsistencies from last season. That's, How do we address these? And so it only that's evolves a lot of, from here. That's a lot of faith, man. That's a lot of faith in people that I think are just incompetent. Like they had the World Cup, they had a lot of time to implement this VAR the way that they seen it happen in those tournaments. I just think they're incompetent. Like, come on, man, like two weeks ago, they just decided that, okay, every VAR call now is going to get overturned. When, like, for 10 weeks straight, they um, didn't, you know, they, they never changed the call. Like, it just, they keep flip-flopping. And uh, anyways, I, I don't like it, and it doesn't make any sense. And well, so, I'd rather we just don't talk Yeah, about I mean, it. I... Absolutely agree with Mohanad that like it's it's so it's so bad and it kind of like takes the sting out of the game and it makes it un- unenjoyable. But I I will say that on the positive side for VAR, like just the fact that we've actually come to this point where finally we're implementing technology into the game to address inconsistencies that were there from before, like with the linesman or the referee. I think that that's a step in the right direction. I think that from here, they should still continue to make improvements, and then I think just over time there will be some framework to get it in, like actually consistent. Right? And so maybe if until now, from now until then, when it's actually a proper framework, then there's a bit of growing pains to, to consider. Can I, can I just address that for a second? Uh, also, sorry, I had uh, food delivery, had to get the door. Um, the, the decisions that were being made before VAR were 97% correct in the Premier League, at least. Now, we have to, you know, as a, uh, I don't know, society is too strong. As a fan base, whatever you want to call it, we have to decide what we're willing to accept. 97% correct is unbelievable. That, like, doing something that well in any other, uh, you know, part of life would be considered beyond success. So do we really want all of this to make up that last 3%? Because for me, it's absolutely not worth it. I, 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 think, I think I agree. And uh, before you came back, Alex, uh, Mo posed the question that uh, should we make a decision as the cost to never talk about VAR again? Um, now, what, what we might do is reaffirm every week that we're never going to talk about VAR. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was just going to try and remind Bernie about how the famous Drogba offside goal at Old Trafford in 2010 led to Chelsea winning the league that season by one point. So, I mean, if you know, if 97% of decisions are correct, sure, that's great. I mean, I, I think that the decisions like that are correct are still going to continue being correct. But the magnitude of the decisions in those 3% that are wrong, if they're going to lead to massive results like that, then I think VAR definitely needs to um, be in the equation. Obviously, it's not perfect, but well, I think it, you'll get there. I agree with that. I agree with what you're saying. It makes absolute sense. It's just you have to also individually make a decision of what do you want? Do you want a robotic rigid like you know performance only based sport or do you want entertainment and you know that there's some luck involved and you know that people make mistakes like let's 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 look at it that way referees make mistakes and we're trying to take all their mistakes away 100 percent. but managers make mistakes players make mistakes hell medical staff make mistakes like we don't you know they're not scrutinized to that level of like you you know what football player plays to 97 percent every game it just doesn't happen so exactly. why are, are referees you know different in that sense i just i value the entertainment factor of the game because you know we're uh, i always keep saying this every time VAR comes up which is great it's like we're all gonna die i don't care <laughs> if dogma was onside or offside when i'm dead i just care that you know i enjoyed the season at that moment so so let's let's use this to because I think if they did it like some other leagues where the referee goes to look at it, then at least you can say he still made the decision. But as we promised, let's, let's talk about something that was absolutely sensational, which was Jordan Henderson's cross for Mane's yeah. goal. Now, on Jordan Henderson, he's still a terrible player. But I will say this. This goes back to the whole Klopp and Guardiola. Klopp makes this guy good. That's, that's, just, that's just what it is. Whenever he goes to play for England, he's an absolute donkey. But playing for Jurgen Klopp, the man is world-class. Like, it's so stupid for me to see (laughs) Jordan Henderson play like a world-class player. It's so weird. That cross was absolutely sensational. And by the way, his play in this game 
was absolutely sensational. Yep. And yep. of and course, Captain Mane scores a wonderful goal, but that goal was 100% Jordan Henderson. And this to me is a difference in managers, taking a player yeah. like that and making him brilliant. And it's not just Henderson, it's, it's Wijnaldum next to him too. I would have never thought in a million years that Wijnaldum had these performances in him for the last, what, two seasons now, season and a half. I would have never thought, you know, yeah, Gigi was a good player before and whatever, but not to this level. There's just no way that I expect him to play this well. And you're right, Klopp, that's the, it, again, it's a system. Henderson knows exactly where someone's going to be, so it makes his life easier. He doesn't need to be a flair player. He doesn't need to think on the spot. Everything is kind of like as per the prescription. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, anything else to say on this game? Well, yeah, I think, uh, what, Liverpool scored um, a third first? Yeah, they scored a third. I can't remember. Oh, that, that was the third. That that was the Henderson oh, that cross. Was the uh, that was the third. Then City City I'm, had a bit of a foothold in the game. They they slowly came back into it. And I have to say, as we talked about Fabino, Rodri is an unbelievable player. Forget the score. He in midfield just as well, man. He's so good. Yeah, he is phenomenal, and he's lovely to look at as well, which helps. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move on. I guess we talked about this nine points ahead of City, eight ahead of Chelsea and Leicester. Um, we can look at Leicester next, I guess. Um, seeing as they are second in the table with the top score in the league in Vardy. They beat Arsenal convincingly, 2-0. Um, again, Leicester were favourites. There's no shock results here. Favourites, like, by a mile. Um, with everything that's going on at Arsenal and just the form that Leicester are in and how well they're playing that. That Telemans and Didi Madison trio is, you know, Vardy, obviously, but that, that trio is making them tick. It's phenomenal right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, the only surprise here was that Arsenal lasted 60-something minutes before conceding, really. I would like just like to quickly point out that Leicester have the best defense in the league. They've only conceded eight goals through 12 games, and they've scored yeah. 29 goals. Yeah, yeah, and they're, they're outperforming their XG and their goals conceded. They're outperforming all the indices, sure. But at the end of the day, they deserve where they, like the eye test. The, you know that that's what it really comes down to, and they're watchable. They're they're fun. You can see what the system is. You can see what Ndidi is, and he's up there this season with Fabinho. He's killing it, absolutely killing it in midfield for, for uh, for Leicester, and and they deserve to be where they are. This is no fluke. You know, if they they won the league that season, if they come top four this season, that's another phenomenal achievement. Oh, absolutely! Like Ndidi, I think is is. Yeah, you're right. It's him and Fabinho. I mean, he's up there with the most interceptions and tackles and all that kind of stuff. And he's absolutely phenomenal. And yeah, I mean, at the start of the season, we were questioning Arsenal and United and to some extent, or to a lesser extent, Spurs about making the top four again. But despite their form, you know, those teams over the last few years have kind of bumbled their way into the top four, you know, not playing very well. Leicester and Chelsea, from what it looks like so far, are not going to let them do that again. You know, Chelsea I have won. They, they've got the best form in the league. They've won five in a row. I think six in a row, actually. Leicester lost one and then won the last four. Like, these teams are not letting up. They're absolutely relentless at, at the moment. And it, it is really incredible to see. I mean, we don't. Did we expect anything more from Arsenal? Or did we expect no. even less? No, I, 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 I mean, to be very honest, I think whenever we get into this stage where people say, oh, they're going to get battered, it never happens. So I didn't expect the battering. I did expect the win for Leicester, maybe 1-0. Um, something similar to the Spurs game um, where it was 2-1, I think, in the end. Um, I expected that. And to be honest, Arsenal gave a decent account of themselves for the first time in a while for about 45, 45 minutes. Um, they could have taken a lead if Aubameyang was onside. And, I mean, he was way off, but time you run better and it's a goal. Um, but end of the day, you know, the, the, the pressure told. And, and as you guys said, Ndidi was sensational. Rodgers made the right calls. Uh, Damari Gray coming off, off the bench changed the whole complexion of the game. Um, mm-hmm. that, that, that's, you know, that's good management. That's, that's, that's what that is. And you have to have a good manager to make those calls. And he did that. And absolutely correct. They have the best defense in the league. Um, and I think that's also because a function of the team is bought into everything. Unlike Arsenal, where they have not bought into anything, and I'm not sure there's anything to buy into. Well, um, well Leicester have Leicester even have some of the best 
um, right and left backs in the league. I mean, with Chilwell and Pereira, they're they're killing it right now. At least from, uh, especially from an attacking point of view, they're so dangerous. Like we said, their midfield is one of the best in the league. They have the top scorer of the league in Vardy. Like, what more can you ask for? Um, they are where they are on merit, and, and they deserve to be. And I honestly hope they stay in the top four. It would be exciting to have a bit of a change in, in that status quo. Here, here's a question. Sorry, I just want to ask this question. When they won the league, right, and then Conte left, and um, what's his name left? Uh, Conte Mar- left, and uh, Mares wanted to leave. He didn't leave immediately, but he, he definitely oh. wanted to leave. And then Vardy kind of almost um, the test of this team probably isn't really this season. The test of this team is, can they keep these guys? I don't expect Madison and people to leave, although, you know, there was an article in The Athletic that's saying that Leicester are prepared for that scenario. But um, if they can keep the core, because it's, it's a young team, actually. If they can keep the core, then we have a new force, potentially. But it's, it's, the summer is going to be where we really see if this Leicester yeah, but team is they, they replaced really well. They replaced Kante with Ndidia, and they replaced... Maguire with Sionko. So they, they seem to get it right. They replaced whoever with, you know, Tillemans and, 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 um, and what's his name uh, in midfield. So it took a couple of years sure, to come sure. into They're not play. Gonna, sure, it's not going to be next season, but if they, if they keep coming, popping up like this every two, three seasons, that's more than enough. Here's what I'll say about, about keeping those guys. If they finish top four, it's not even a question. It's not even a question. They will stick around. For the Champions League, they'll stick around while they have a manager that they like that's getting the best out of them. Um, they'll stick around to play good football. I mean, Harry Maguire would never admit it at this point. But he, you know, it looks like he made a mistake making the move that he did. Sure, he's probably getting paid double. So fair play, whatever your priorities are. But he's missing out on playing in a fantastic, young, exciting team. And instead, he's dicking around in mid-table with, sorry, guys, a load of nonsense. Um, and Leicester might be playing in the Champions League next season. Manchester United, barring a miracle, will not. So I don't think there's any problem with those keeping keeping those guys, especially because, as you said, Bernie, most of them are very young and Vardy at this point is too old to move anywhere. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think they're good for a couple of years at least. Hey, I have to disagree with the whole Vardy sentiment because I still feel like you know, based on our discussion earlier about whether or not he would go and tear up another league, I still, I still think Vardy is good for another three seasons. And he's in the form of his life. And he's such a late bloomer. I love the guy. And I don't think he's going to peter out anytime soon. Oh, I, I'm not suggesting that he's done. I'm, I'm suggesting that he's too old to be worth anyone spending a lot of money on. Like, no yeah. one's going no yeah. to buy him at this point. No. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's Lester. Um, let's talk about Chelsea a little bit. They're also in second. Um, eight points away from Liverpool. They are, again, not easy what they're doing. Like, I mean, yeah, sure, you used to say, what's, what's the big deal beating Crystal Palace 2-0? But these are games that, you know, sometimes teams slip. And I expected Chelsea to slip a lot this season. But, again, Pulisic is back in form. Sammy Abraham seems to be so reliable. And Willian is back, is, is back in form as well and there's just a lot going on and, and Zuma's playing fantastic and Tamar is it Tamari? Tamari. Um he's playing Tamari. He's playing fantastic. Like everybody just seems to, you know, just be playing really well for Chelsea and Lampard winning manager of the month and all that. Everything is rosy over there. It's pretty incredible. Six six games in a row. Uh, Bernie, where are you at with, with Lampard? Uh, I think he's doing a good job. Um, Chelsea convinced me a lot less than Leicester. A lot less than Leicester. Um, their last couple games are Palace, granted, Watford, Bur- Burnley, Man United in the Grand Cup or whatever, Newcastle, Southampton, Brighton. You should win these games. Now, it went, and my problem is, um, last year, Solskjaer doing well, he, we, it became, well, it was only this team. But that doesn't happen with Frank Lampard, and that's, that's a bit unfair. But Frank Lampard is doing a good job considering transfer ban. But again, there were world-class players on that team already. Then you go into the Champions League, and you're 4-1 down at home to Ajax. 4-1 down. Ajax are a good team, but 4-1 down should never happen. Their defense is still not very good, considering that when they play against good teams, they get found out. Now, they're going to make the top four because they are better than City. Sorry, not City. Spurs, United, and Arsenal. But I think we need to be honest about what we're seeing with Chelsea. We're seeing a good team, 
but we're also seeing a team that is beating teams that they absolutely should beat and struggling against the teams that they shouldn't beat. Losing Bernie, to Man United 6-1 in aggregate doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense I, at all. I, I, I agree. It's just, it's all relative, right? Like Spurs, Arsenal, United should also be beating all these teams. They're not. So like, I understand that in a real, like, yeah, he's not doing a, an unbelievable, like, miraculous job if everybody else is doing the same. But clearly, it's not as easy as we maybe think it might be. My problem just is we have to be consistent. If we're going to say when Solskjaer was tearing it up and breaking records, it was only this and only that, you have to do the same thing. Like, we can't just give Frank Lampard this wonderful pass because, like, it doesn't make sense. Like, one was actually doing a lot better than the other, and it was it's only this and only that. That's just where I get a little bit irritated about it. And then I looked at the Ajax game and I thought, 4-1 at home. Holy crap. Like, why are we not scrutinizing that? Like, it doesn't, this, this doesn't make sense to me. And I look at Leicester and I go, Leicester are a fantastic team top to bottom. That is a team to me that I look at them and I go, yeah, next season, if they keep all their players, they can be really, really good. I don't know what Frank Lampard can do in the long run, because they are actually very, very bad against good teams, defensively in particular. So well, that, that, that's my problem there. But I, I don't disagree that they're bad against good teams defensively. Um, but what you're looking at when you compare it to Leicester is, you know, there's about 15 years of management experience between Brendan Rodgers and Frank Lampard. Lampard, lest we forget, is in his second year of management. And I don't think he did much coaching before that either. So, like, he's genuinely brand new to this. And when we're talking about Ajax in the Champions League, yeah, they have some, some quality experienced players, but they also have a bunch of young players who have never played in the Champions League before. You know, Tammy Abraham was in the Championship last year. Tomori was in the championship last year. Mount championship last year. Like they've got a lot of players who have nowhere near the kind of experience that you need to to properly compete in the Champions League, and yet they're getting by in a tough group. So I, I don't want to be too harsh on them. The other thing I'll say is that like Chelsea have City next, which is obviously a massive test. But then they have West Ham, Villa, Everton, Bournemouth, Spurs, Southampton, and Arsenal. Well, they're not playing anyone good anytime soon, apart from City. And, and momentum builds momentum, I, I, even though they're not that good. But if you find yourself in second place, come whatever, how, that, that takes you to what January or whatever it is. It doesn't matter now anymore who you've played. The point is you've got the momentum, you're, you're feeling yourself. That, that could be all it takes. Yeah, all you have to do is feel yourself. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah, Chelsea are definitely... Um, like I, I like what Alex said about like keeping it in perspective when it comes to Lampard. No one's asking him to be Pep, but what he's doing is has to be, you know, has to be lauded for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and as you said, it's all about context. Um, so let's look at the teams that that they are kind of competing against for that top four. United, three-one uh, win over Brighton. Uh, anything to be particularly positive about here? Roche. Yeah, I think um, you know, watching this game, you saw a lot of you know, mistakes that United had in previous games uh, being corrected. So, for example, I mean, there was a lot more attacking verve. There were a lot more chances created. Um, the front three, in a lightning pace, they played a very exciting brand of football on this day. I know it's only against Brighton, but they showed a lot of promise in this game. And I think a lot of United fans are taking um, a lot of secret enjoyment from this and, and also maybe hoping a lot more from the future, like from this um, good result for United. What do you think, Bernie? I think they have to um, take enjoyment from this game because that was the best they've played all season. And it's Brighton, but Brighton have been playing well. And by the way, a lot of people thought that United would not win this game because Graham Potter's done a good job. Uh, Daniel James is such a fun player to watch. He's, free, he's scary fast. Um, Martial knits that attack together and losing him for two months, that's unbelievable. Um, it's, it's very difficult to recover from that type of thing, um, considering they didn't buy a backup striker. But the team played really, really well. They played well against Norwich. They've won five in the last six games. So they are starting to recover a little bit. But, you know, I'll say it again. This is exactly why they let Lukaku go, because Martial is a better player, hold-up player than Lukaku. It's clear as day. So if they can keep them fit, they'll probably finish fifth or sixth. Sure, fine, that's okay. But there is progress being made, and that's, uh, that's, that's really, really good to see. And Rashford has nine goals in 17 games this season. He's going to get a record number of goals for himself at a decent ratio for a left winger. 
So it was gloom and doom, but it's not all gloom and doom, Manchester United. So I think we should all be quite happy, at, at, like at, in recent times anyway. There's a lot of positives. Are you saying Ole in? For now. <laughs> you know what For that, now? What I mean. Wow. Okay. Anyways, I'm not going to even get into that. No, I'm just saying that there is no there is no point of like what are you what are you changing like it doesn't it doesn't make okay, sense change anything think, now so change the end of the season if you need to. I don't know why, but it seems like I'm I'm the one that's always like trying to tell you how big your club is. Like I don't understand. Like I'm sorry, he's not he's not good enough for your club, and I'm like an Arsenal fan, and I keep like I don't know why. Maybe just because I'm on the outside, I keep saying how big United are. He's not big enough for United. <laughs> Some of a lot of your players aren't big enough for United, and I there's no way you want him to continue as manager. Like, there's just no way. I'll, so, I'll give you the two-minute, like, the, the very, very brief version of this. Manchester United is a very, very, very different club to any other club in the world. There's a reason why we have 3,000 games in a row where more than one youth player is in the team. We function differently. It's not about Ferguson. It's been going on since before. We function very, very differently. The real fans of Manchester United, not the 14, 15-year-olds, are ready to take two or three years to build something. That's why when I said, if I get rid of Solskjaer, I'm going for a Marco Rose, this, this whole idea of a manager being big enough for the club is stupid. It doesn't make sense. We had the two biggest to ever do it, and they failed. We're just trying to build something, and we're okay right now. If he can do it, you're seeing Brandon Williams is doing really, really well. Rashford is improving. Martial is improving. McTominay is improving. If this, he can maintain this, keep him. If he can't, Dump him, but still go for a young, progressive manager. This big manager idea is stupid because it's not what Manchester United are built for. Not at all. Bernie, I'm, I'm going to... I agree with you um, in terms of the you don't need a big-name manager. I think you need a different one, but that doesn't matter. What I'm going to do is ask you the same question that you asked of the Leicester players. Uh, if Marshall continues on this kind of form, if Rashford continues on this kind of form, and they have breakout seasons... Breakout's probably the wrong word. They have great seasons, right? If a big European club comes in for them, why are they staying at United if you finish outside the Champions League? Because Rashford in particular is a Manchester boy, a Manchester fan. He's not leaving. None of those players, Scott McTominay, none of those players are going to leave Manchester United unless they get relegated. It will I'm not, not happen. I'm, I'm not I'm, saying I'm, Real Madrid are coming in for Scott McTominay. No, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying, <laughs> if someone did throw in a bid, none of those players are leaving. Martial potentially, but you have to pay $60 million. And I'm not like, is someone going to do that? We'll see. But they're in a position where actually the players that they have who are young and developing, they're going to be there for a very, very long time. That's just how, like, that's just what, it, what it's going to be. Pogba couldn't even leave this summer and he wanted to leave. My United is not the type of club that will let you go if they don't want you to. I genuinely of forgot course. about Paul Pogba. I completely forgot yeah. about him. Yeah, I, I want to say though, like, Speaking of McTominay, I think he's slowly, really asserting himself in this midfield. Like, obviously, all the McTominay jokes and whatever last season and all this stuff. But this season, like, watching him a bit more closely, I really like what I see. And I hope he can kind of continue in this form and, and improve and, and grow because he's, he's got a lot of potential, man. Like, there's, there's a lot of things that he has that you can't coach. You know what I mean? So then you just coach the few things that you can, and I think he's going to be a great player. I think the main thing he has that you can't coach is like being six foot four. Yeah, that and like <laughs> he, seems, he seems to care, man. He just seems to care and get it. Does that make sense? I mean, sure. he's a Passion. brilliant. He's a brilliant player, and that's what they're trying to bring in: players who give a shit. And Scott McTominay, like he almost gives too much. He almost cares too much, so he may need right, to calm right. down a little bit. Well, speaking of players who give a shit, Sheffield United collectively like, they yeah. give quite a lot of shit. <laughs> my god do they give a shit like they are just what's going on man you're sitting in fifth and you've played all the top teams you know what I mean like that's ridiculous Sheffield United newly relegated sitting in fifth after playing all the top teams like they, they are doing some really good stuff man like off the ball they're just powerful they're, they really want it more than everybody they, they play against um, this game was again against the run of play with the with the City goal, and then they got really, with the uh, Tottenham goal, and they got really unlucky with the VAR call, just like, you know, a big toe offside, and I really, really like what I see from Sheffield United this season. I think they've been phenomenal, and Spurs again, this game, just Spursy, same thing, nothing, nothing, nothing changing. Uh, Pogacino just doesn't seem to be able to get it out of them as he did the last couple of seasons. 
Yeah, it was. It was. Um, no, sorry, go on, Rache. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna quickly just add that Sheffield United next game, I believe, is against United at home. Um, so very exciting, actually. I, I like what I see from both teams. Quickly, just pointing out that Sheffield United are in fifth place, which is remarkable. They're above Arsenal and United. And however, their games are pretty boring by the stats. So they've only con- they've only conceded nine goals, so they're the second best defense in the league. But they've only scored thirteen. So be an interesting game to see Sheffield United against uh, Man U in the next game. Absolutely, and and they haven't lost in five. I, and what I will say is that if you are the highest placed United in the league, I think you get to be called United, don't you? Yeah, that's a good point. It's like the Milan. Uh, I've never heard of this before, but uh, um, good bands, good bands. Yeah, so I think after <laughs> after the international break, it is United against Manchester United uh, in a that's battle in a battle for the for the top five. Um, it's for the battle for the United. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although you know, on the faces of it, no one is more United than these Sheffield United players who so, give so much shit. In, in in this case, you know, it's City and then Manchester City. City being Leicester at this point as well. Exactly. That applies. You, you understand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, yeah, uh, on Spurs, they can't seem to turn it around. Um, they kind of just seem depressed. Like they, well, they tried the all the new guys in the in the Champions League midweek, and that seemed to work. So Pochettino tried it again in the league, um, and they looked a bit better. And Dombele is clearly like absolutely class and when he's on the field he makes a ton of difference but he had to go off at half time and then it kind of all fell apart the thing is Ndombele shouldn't have to make a difference like they they should be good enough whether Ndombele is in or or he's out I mean last season they got to the Champions League final although you know they capitulated in the league but I think I think it's I think it's done I think Pochettino is done here and it's and it's not because he's not a good manager, but it's really because they're not going to refresh that team the way he needs to re- refresh that team. The way whenever you know things got stale at, at United, Ferguson changed it up, or the way Pep came in and then switched everything up, you know that that's not going to happen for him. And he he needs to go to for me in order to you know keep his career going, keep his legacy going, whatever that greatness path he's on. Right. He's got to go. So I I don't necessarily disagree that it might be time to go. I don't though disagree that that the squad refresh won't happen necessarily. Uh, what I'll take you back to is the summer where you know at the start of the summer they were linked with Ndombele and you said to me it's never going to happen. They're never going to spend that kind of money and they did. I I think Levy will be very, very keen not to lose Pochettino despite this season because it's the best manager they've they've had in you know God knows how long. They won't want to try and find someone else. They won't want to try and replace all the backroom staff as well. Most of the players probably still you know absolutely love this guy. They won't want to lose him, and if that means they have to spend a bit more money than they plan to in the summer or you know possibly January, I think we'd be surprised at the lengths Levy might go to if that's what it takes to keep him. Right. And and yeah, I, I also agree a little bit with Bernie about it shouldn't really come down to just one player, you know, in Dombele, out Dombele, it doesn't matter. It hey. should be better than that. So just wanted to put that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, the table, I think we've talked about all the games, didn't we? Uh, Wolves beating, uh, who do Wolves beat? Wolves beat Aston Villa 2-1. Um, Southampton lost to Everton 2-1 as well. Uh, there's only there's only one more I, I want to talk about, which is Newcastle Bournemouth, and I don't have anything to say about the game other than that uh, Newcastle are now ahead of Tottenham, and Steve Bruce is somehow doing a reasonable job. Yeah, he's starting to pick it up. He does Bizarre. that from time to time, by the way. He, every, every now and then, every, once every five years, he does a decent job. Um, so he's he's not that bad, guys. <laughs> he's not that bad. Well, it's not it's not that hard. Then every five seasons, you should hire him. <laughs> yeah, keep, keep, keep track keep a tracker yeah it's just timing that's all it is yeah uh, um, so yeah we've got uh, that's pretty much it we've got Liverpool uh, top of the table by 8 points Leicester um, and then Chelsea City Sheffield in 5th Arsenal with a negative goal difference in 6th um, and then you know the rest so, so let's let's do something let's do something different here since I'm looking at the timer and uh, there are 7 minutes left so let's do a quick fire round of things here uh, okay. First topic, TFC losing MLS Cup. How are we feeling, Mohamed? I watched the game and I thought 
Sounders just looked a bit better overall. Yeah. Roche? I think that this result was pretty harsh on TFC because they dominated the game. They could have been up a few goals at halftime and everyone was purring about how they were playing. It was just like, you know, it was like a siege against the Seattle goal, but they, they just couldn't get that final shot away. And the second half was kind of going the same way until Seattle finally got their goal against the run of play. And then from there, TFC heads just dropped and then they conceded their second goal pretty sloppily. Um, and the third goal was like the embodiment of, you know, just complete like disintegration of your tactics. Um, yeah, so so well played Seattle for uh, obviously braving the TFC onslaught. But of, of course, I think, um, you know, if anyone's going to feel hurt about this game, it's going to be TFC just because they, I think that they had what it took to win, but they just couldn't find it on the day. Alex. Yeah, not too much to add. TFC, quite unlucky. Not quite good enough at the back. Not quite good enough at the front. Midfield was decent. Um, but let's just put it in perspective. They were rubbish most of the season. They scraped into the playoffs. No one thought that they would be there. So the fact that they even got to MLS Cup is a surprise. That's three finals and four, if I'm not mistaken. And and I, I, I watched a little bit of the game, not enough, but I read that, um, similar to what Rache said, that TFC probably were the better team on the balance of it. And that would mean that Seattle have played two games. <laughs> well, if they're both of the finals that they've won. They weren't the best team on the field. That, that, that's I don't know it's that how champions act I guess I don't know yeah I, I just quickly point out a parallel to the 1994 Champions League final between AC Milan and Barcelona I think Barcelona <laughs> controlled the game very well but AC Milan ended up winning that game 4-0 and it was like it was kind of like what like this boring brand of you, football ended up winning 4-0 you could have literally made that up and there's no way for me to verify like I don't even know if these are the right teams I'm just like I'm telling you like okay you can go on YouTube right now, type in 1994 Champions League final and watch the highlights, and you're going to be like, I don't know how AC Milan won this game 4-0. But I feel I'm worried that like if I write that in there, maybe the TFC Seattle game will come up because it's so similar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. Uh, that, that, was, that, that was great stuff. Thank you, Michelle. Uh In La Liga, Lionel Messi 4. Well, no, 3 oh, plus 1, oh, let's call it. Shut oh. up, Monet. Let me set you up. Let me set you up. All right. You know, Messi three plus one. I don't even know who scored the, four, the fourth one. Uh, and Celta Vigo one. Mohaned, oh. go. Bernie's running Bro. down the wings, squares it to Mohaned in the six yard box. <laughs> Bro. And then Mohaned gets fouled and puts in the free kick. Mm. Come to his free kicks. My God. Like, guys, like, I was watching this game going, like, after the first one went in. He's placing the second one, and I'm, you've heard the Spanish, you've heard the French commentary. I'm like, no, there's no way. I, I, actually, happen. we haven't heard the French commentary, but well, you should. If you haven't, you should. They they literally just like go all out, and I was just like, this cannot be. Like, there's no. These are penalties now. These are penalty free kicks. Like, are you kidding me? Like, come on. Like, it just gives me joy, man. He just gives me joy, and you guys can hate all you want. I'm just, I'm happy. I'm happy, and I can't believe you're not happy for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, no one is. When Mahanad is happy, it's really hard for anyone else to be happy. That's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's very well put. Okay, I think Mahanad has said it all. Uh, to Italy, Juventus win 1 0. Ronaldo goes off oh. 55th minute, and Dybala comes on and scores the winner. Uh, That's my boy. Alex. Yeah. That's my boy. Uh, Mohamed, you wrote him off. You keep writing him off and he keeps coming back. And there's another important goal for Dybala. Uh, Ronaldo storming off down the tunnel, apparently. Uh, not happy with this. But Sarri was quite, was quite good about it. He, he just said, well, you know, Ronaldo's been playing with an injury, so it was very nice for him to even be available. <laughs> now, if that was Emery, <laughs> I'm not sure he would have handled this situation very well. <laughs> Whatever makes no. you say that. <laughs> Absolutely. I think Sari really handled the situation like a boss. Uh, yeah, on one hand, Ronaldo's playing with an injury. On the other hand, he's like angrily storming off into the tunnel. It's like, okay, what are you mad about? Are you mad you got subbed off at the 55th minute or are you mad that you're injured? Yeah, and then uh, on the one hand, Sari, you know, handled it well. And on the other hand, he had a cigarette. So. That's true. Um, I, I wondered how Mohanad felt about this because on the one on the one hand, since we're talking about uh, <laughs> things in the hands, uh, he he 
dislikes Ronaldo, but the other hand, he dislikes Dybala. So I, I, I felt that you were between a rock and a hard place here. Nah, man. Nah, I, I, nothing gave me more joy than seeing Ronaldo being subbed twice in a row in the 55th <laughs> minute. And just, like, the highlights of Ronaldo in this game, like, he couldn't even, like, he doesn't have a first touch anymore, man. He's in Lukaku territory right now, and it gives me so much joy. Love it. And you Lukaku like... score this weekend, which gave me so much joy. Anyway, sorry, Rishay, go no. ahead. Everyone's agendas are being fulfilled, but I just want to quickly call out for the for the Mohamed agenda. There's two players that he severely dislikes. One is Hazard, and two is Ronaldo. And so yeah. Ronaldo was bad, and you know Mohamed also claims that Hazard has been bad. But you know, as much as Real Madrid have been underperforming this season, they're in second place, tied on points with Barcelona, who are now in first. So Speaking. La Liga is completely sorry. wide open. Sorry, hold and on. Hazard is going to be great. Sorry, Rache. I was going to say. First thing, Mohanid hates Hazard and KDD more than anyone else. We have, I was about to say. We have 30 seconds left. I'll give the last word to Mohanid. KDB oh, up the place. KDB absolutely sunk it up at Anfield. Horrendous display. Alex? That was false information. <laughs> <laughs> All I right. I think we're done. Oh, what about me? Oh, <laughs> Well, you, you just spoke before Monet. But okay, go ahead, Rishay. Sign us out. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm still leading the cost in FPL, oh although I have lost my grip on first place. But uh, I think that a wild card might be in the equation pretty soon, so everyone stay tuned to learn about more domination from uh, Rishay's fantasy team. I mean, that is the only reason anyone tunes into this, so thank you for providing that update. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. We will talk to you soon. at under the kosh blog at gmail.com follow us on twitter at under underscore the kosh and for articles predictions and the full experience go to under the kosh blog.com.